0: welcome 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 to the spooky boy podcast i'm diesel and we're gonna go on a journey exploring all the spooky sides of life join me as we delve into the world of true crime ghost stories and talk about all things horror as we look to scratch our scary itch and produce those beautiful beautiful spine chilling sensations we all love so without further ado let's get into some horrific things this week As this is the first episode, we're going to start off swinging as I've got a doozy of a show planned for you guys. First and foremost, going forward, I'm always going to keep the heavy details of these stories, but I know I won't cover everything. So I will always encourage you to keep on your research game and dig deeper once you're done listening. I promise you, there's always more to learn. Coming at you first this week is a true crime story you may know and love, or you've at least heard of it the Zodiac Killer. In the late 1960s and early 1970s, the Zodiac Killer terrorized Northern California with a string of brutal murders. His victims were typically couples, targeted in isolated areas, and the killer would often taunt the police and media with cryptic letters and codes. The first known attack by the Zodiac Killer took place on December 20th, 1968, when he shot and killed David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen a teenage couple who were parked at a remote spot in Benicia, California. The Zodiac Killer then struck again on July 4th, 1969, when he shot and killed Darlene Farron and severely injured her companion, Michael Maggio, in Vallejo. Above all, the Zodiac's most infamous attack occurred on September 27, 1969, at Lake Berryessa. The killer wore a hood and a black outfit with a white cross on his chest as he approached two college students, Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard, who were having a picnic. The Zodiac stabbed both of them multiple times and left them for dead. Miraculously, Hartnell survived, but Shepard died from her wounds. Over the next few years, the Zodiac Killer continued to taunt authorities with letters sent to newspapers in which he claimed responsibility for the murders and provided details that only he would know. The letters often contained cryptograms, which the Zodiac claimed contained his identity. Although some of the cryptograms were solved, the killer's true identity remained a mystery. The Zodiac's final confirmed murder occurred on October 11, 1969, when he shot and killed San Francisco cab driver Paul Stein. The Zodiac then disappeared without a trace, leaving law enforcement baffled and frustrated. Despite numerous suspects and leads over the years, the Zodiac Killer has never been identified or captured. In 2007, the San Francisco Police Department declared the case inactive, but stated that they would continue to investigate any new leads that come forward. The case of the Zodiac Killer remains one of the most notorious unsolved mysteries in American history and the killer's identity and motive continue to intrigue and haunt people to this day. The chilling nature of the case and the Zodiac's taunting letters have made him a cultural icon, inspiring movies, TV shows, and countless books. But the question remains, who was the Zodiac Killer, and will his true identity ever be revealed? Our next foray is half-true crime, half-paranormal thriller called The Villisca Axe Murder House. On June 10, 1912, eight people were brutally murdered in the sleep in the small town of Valliska, Iowa. The victims included six members of the Moore family and two young girls who were spending the night at their house, the murder weapon and axe. The murders took place in a small house on the edge of town, a house that still stands today and is now known as the Villisca Axe Murder House. The house has become a popular destination for ghost hunters and true crime enthusiasts, but the events that took place there over a century ago continue to haunt the town to this day. So let's dive into what we know about the Velisca Axe murders. On the evening of June 9th, the Moore family attended a church event and returned home around 9.45 p.m. They were a well-respected family in the community and no one had any reason to suspect that anything was amiss. But by the next morning, a neighbor became concerned when they noticed that the house was unusually quiet. When they went to investigate, they found the bodies of all eight victims in their beds covered in blood the murder weapon an axe was found in the guest room where the two young girls had been staying the crime scene was brutal and gruesome the killer had bludgeoned each victim with the blunt side of the axe before turning it around and using the sharp side to deliver fatal blows despite an extensive investigation no one was ever charged with the murders and the case remains unsolved to this day the Velisca asks murder's house has become a popular destination for paranormal investigators and ghost hunters alike. Many people claim to have experienced strange occurrences in the home, from cold spots and strange noises to seeing full-blown apparitions. The house is now a museum and can be visited by the public, but some locals believe that the property is cursed and should be completely avoided. One of the most famous ghost stories associated with the Velisca Axe Murder House is that of a young girl who was murdered in her sleep. Visitors to the house claim to have seen the girl's ghastly figure wandering the halls and some have even captured the image in photographs. So what happened on that fateful night in June 1912? Who was responsible for the Velisca axe murders? Unfortunately, we may never know. Over the years, many suspects have been identified and investigated but no one has ever been definitively linked to the crime. Some theories suggest that the murders may have been committed by a transient worker passing through town, while others believe that a jealous husband may have been responsible, but without any concrete evidence, the case remains open and unsolved. I've just barely scratched the surface here, so I implore you to do further research to get up to speed with the true depth of these cases. On top of these two, we're gonna finish off the end of our first episode with a movie review. I'm a huge fan, if not one of the biggest, a found footage style horror or paranormal, so I'm going to hit you with one of my favorites, the Blackwell Ghost series. The Blackwell Ghost is a horror film that follows a guy named Turner Clay as he investigates a supposedly haunted house in rural Virginia. The film is presented as raw footage that Clay supposedly shot himself, which just adds to the overall realism of the story. As the film progresses, the tension builds as Clay experiences strange occurrences and unexplained phenomena. The viewer is left wondering if the house is truly haunted, or if it's all just a hoax. One of the strengths of the film is its simplicity, as it relies on the viewer's imagination to create the scares, rather than relying on cheap jump scares or over-the-top special effects. The slow build of tension and suspense is expertly crafted, leaving the viewer on edge throughout the entire film. I personally love this movie just for Turner Clay first and foremost. He's a fantastic storyteller, he's absolutely lovable, and most of all, he's absolutely relatable. That isn't found in too many horror movies, let alone one who can control the game doing a found footage style one. This series also has, to date, seven movies, so there are plenty to dig through if it catches your attention. Overall, The Blackwell Ghost is an absolutely solid horror film that relies on atmosphere and tension to create scares, and I'll say it may not be the most original or most groundbreaking out there. It's definitely worth a watch for fans of the genre. As of this recording, you can watch it on Plex, the Roku channel, Tubi, or Amazon Prime if you have a subscription. Thank you so much for sticking with me this far. This was quite fun for me to make and record, so the future is wide open. If you have any questions for me, thoughts on where to go next, or just overall criticism, please email me at spookyboypod at gmail.com. That's S-P-O-O-K-Y-B-O-I-P-O-D at gmail.com. And other than that, on to next week. We'll see ya. (coughs)